Hello and welcome to the Memory Chapel podcast. Memory Chapel is a small, rural, non-denominational Christian church located on Banceville Road in 84, Pennsylvania. On this podcast, we feature an edited version of our Sunday morning worship service at the chapel and the Bible teaching of Pastor David All. Thanks for joining us. And now, let's get to the worship. morning. Welcome in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So glad that you're here to worship today. Our call to worship this morning comes from the 110th Psalm, a Psalm of David. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord shall send the rod of your strength out of Zion, rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people shall be volunteers in the day of your power. In the beauties of holiness from the womb of the morning, you have the dew of your youth. The Lord has sworn and will not relent. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He shall execute kings in the day of his wrath. He shall judge among the nations. He shall fill the places with dead bodies. He shall execute the heads of many countries. He shall drink of the brook by the wayside, therefore he shall lift up the head. This is the word of the Lord. Take your hymnals this morning. If you're able and willing to stand together as we sing the first one, it's number 304, Behold the Lamb. We'll sing it through twice. of the world for sinners crucified O holy sacrifice behold the Lamb of God behold the Lamb behold the Lamb behold the Lamb slain from the fountain of the world for sinners crucified O holy sacrifice behold the Lamb of God behold the 
may be seated as we turn to our next one, number 311. Hallelujah, what a Savior. to bow your heads and hearts together with me as we seek the Lord in prayer. Our Father, you are great and greatly to be praised. And it is our prayer that here today in the midst of the company of the saints, that you would be honored, that your Son would be exalted, that your Spirit would hold full sway in our hearts and in our minds to guide and direct our worship our meditation, our learning, our understanding, and ultimately our praising. Uh, please help us today to praise you as you are worthy of being praised and to worship you as you are worthy of being worshipped because there is none other that is worthy. You alone are worthy to be praised, worthy to be worshipped because you've created and you've redeemed and you sustain your people. We thank you for your word, the reflection of the living word of God, before whom we must all give account how grateful, how thankful we are that we have a faithful high priest in the person of your son, Jesus Christ, who has compassion on us, who sympathizes with us in our weaknesses, who brings us near to you so that we can draw near through faith in him. What a blessing to be able to come with boldness to your throne of grace, knowing that we can receive the mercy and grace that we need in a time of need, that we can find help when we need it most. 
and how often we fail to avail ourselves of this great blessing, this great benefit. We try to solve so many things on our own. Or we go and we seek the counsel of others who aren't fit to guide and direct us, and we neglect until the very end to come to you. Maybe we think that we would be bothering you and you're busy, but you've told us in your word the very opposite, that we are to cast our cares upon you because you care for us. How blessed and how thankful we are that you do care for us. Father, you know every need that is here, all the ones that have been spoken and the ones that have been unspoken. You know the needs Indeed, you know the needs better than we ourselves know our own needs. We trust in your goodness. We trust in your grace. Father, we want to lift up to you this morning some of those names that have been mentioned here. We are thankful to have our sister Martha here worshiping with us today. We pray that you may especially bless her for the effort that it took to be here But Father, we uh, look forward to the 24th of this month when both she and Joe have important appointments scheduled and we pray that you would uh, be with them both through these appointments and that you would work out your good and perfect will in their lives. We pray for their good. We pray for their healing. We pray for strengthening. Uh, Father, we remember uh, Rebecca Patterson who we have supported as a, as a missionary aviation pilot. And we thank you for the ministry that, that she is in and the work that she is doing. We pray that you would bless her, that you protect her, and provide what she needs along the way. We thank you for the opportunity to partner with her in serving Christ. Father, we also remember uh, the request that Kim gave regarding Dave who had a stroke and is having speech problems and is in UPMC, we we pray for him. We pray for his healing, his recovery, uh, that you would strengthen him and that you would restore to him the capacities that have been uh, detrimentally impacted. Father, we pray for Charlene, who's now experiencing problems with her left foot. We pray that you would heal and strengthen that foot and that you would help her in the midst of this new difficulty. And we also remember the request that, that Lucy brought regarding Tina Keene and the foot problems that she's experiencing. Uh, Father, we pray that you would heal her and strengthen that foot so that she uh, can return to the, the fullness of the work that she has to do. Uh, We praise you with Terry. We praise you for Cody, for the miracle that you worked 14 years ago in saving his life and in strengthening him and bringing about his recovery. What a blessing and what a gift these 14 years have been to our sister Terry and to Cody and and, and to the whole family and to all of us. We, We give praise for your goodness and thank you for that healing. We also lift up Dean that Terry reminded us of who was in that motorcycle accident. He and his wife, we, we thank you that they are healing and that they are recovering. Uh, we pray for your continued healing, continued strength in their lives. Uh, Father, we want to lift up our nation to you. 
It's a troubling time. There's violence and there's lawlessness on every side. Father, we pray for our nation that you would grant it repentance, that the hearts of the people would be turned back to you. We pray for our leaders, that you would give them wisdom, that they would govern in ways that are right and just. Father, we pray for their salvation, as we pray for the salvation of all men, that they might come to the knowledge of the truth, that they might repent and believe the gospel. Father, we pray for this chapel, Help us to be faithful, faithful to you, faithful to your word, faithful to the gospel, faithful to the situations that you've placed us in within our families, within our communities, in our relationships with neighbors and friends. Help us to be faithful. Help us to learn of Jesus and to faithfully teach those that you put into our lives. We pray that you would bless this church, that it would continue to be a place where people can come and hear the word of God, where people can come and be encouraged and strengthened and built up, where they can worship you freely in spirit and in truth. Father, all of these things we ask in the name of our Lord Jesus, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Take those hymnals one last time. Number 305, Jesus paid it all. You may remain seated as we sing. Number 305. I hear the Savior say, Thy strength indeed is small. Child of weakness, watch and pray. Find in me thine all in all. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. Lord, now indeed I find thy power and thine alone can change the leper spots and melt the heart of stone. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. For nothing good have I whereby thy grace to claim. I'll wash my garments white in the blood of Calvary's Lamb. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. And when
I stand in incomplete. Jesus died my soul to save, my lips shall still repeat. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. If you have your Bibles and would like to follow along with me, we are in Hebrews chapter 5 today. Hebrews chapter 5. And the question is, is Jesus Christ qualified? Is Jesus qualified? I heard a story about a, a man who needed to hire someone to work at the office. And he put the job requirements on the ad. It said that you had to be able to type 80 words a minute. You had to be good with computers. And you had to be bilingual. You had to be able to speak two languages. Well, that ad was out there for weeks, and there weren't any calls, no answers. And one day, a dog walks into the office. And the man looks at the dog kind of funny. What's this dog doing here? Well, the dog points right at the sign that had the ad. And the man finally figured, well, this dog must be applying for the job. He says, uh, I'm sorry, I don't think that you're going to meet our qualifications. Well, the dog jumps up on the chair, and he pounds out 100 words a minute on the typewriter. The guy's blown away. He can't believe it. How can your chubby little paws do that? He says, that's quite impressive, but even so, I don't think that you're going to meet our qualifications. Yes, you can type 100 words a minute, but um, we need someone who's good with computers. Well, the dog gets the mouse and gets on the Internet, and within a matter of minutes, minutes had hacked into the company's security system and shut down all the security cameras. The guy is blown away. This dog is amazing, right? But he says... As impressive as that is, I still don't think I can hire you because, well, we're looking for someone who's bilingual. Dog looks at him hard for about a minute and then confidently lets out a meow. <laughs> I think I'm qualified, the dog is saying. <laughs> The question is, is Jesus qualified? As we've been going through the book of Hebrews, we've seen the Apostle Paul make the case that Jesus is more than qualified. In, in chapter 1, he showed how God has spoken various times in various ways through the prophets, but in the last days, he's spoken in a new, fresh way. He spoke through his Son. And as we continued on through chapter 1, we saw the apostle answer the question that his Jewish listeners may have had. Well, it seems to me, Paul, that the Messiah, being a human, is lower than the angels. You know, how does that all fit in? Well, the apostle then shows how Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ, is actually greater than the angels. But for a time, he was humbled. He was humbled and he took upon himself human flesh. And he bore our griefs and our sicknesses. He became one of us and he entered into all the struggles and temptations of a human life. Some of Paul's Jewish listeners would have been perplexed by this. Why is that? If, if the Messiah, if the Christ is greater than the angels because he's the son of God, then why become a man? And at the end of chapter 1, it, the Apostle Paul makes it very clear. This happened so that the Messiah, the Christ, could be a faithful high priest. 
a high priest. A priest is one who brings people to God. He represents the people to God. He offers sacrifices and offerings and gifts from the people to God. He reconciles people to God. And the apostle says, if Jesus, the Christ, is going to be a faithful high priest, he had to become one of us. He had to know what it was to live a human life with all of its trials, all of its temptations, all of its troubles, and all of its struggles. He had to be like us if he was going to represent us to the Father. That's why the Messiah was made to be lower than the angels for a time, but is now exalted far above the angels. And and then as he got into chapter 2 here in the book of Hebrews, well, I guess that was chapters 1 and 2, as he got into chapter 3, he shows how Jesus is greater than Moses. Greater than Moses, the one who spoke the old covenant to the people of Israel, well, Jesus is greater than him. And then there's a warning. A warning comes in chapter 3. Don't harden your hearts. Don't rebel. Don't refuse and resist and reject the one that God has sent, Jesus Christ. Because there are dire circumstances for you if you do. Don't reject the one that God has appointed, the Messiah, the Christ, Jesus. Because if you do, you won't enter into rest. You won't have peace with God. You won't be reconciled to God. Don't reject the Messiah. So there we continued through chapter 3 and into chapter 4. And we get to the end of chapter 4. And he begins to talk about the word of God. He says the word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any double-edged sword. It pierces to the very heart, to the very core of a human being. And the word of God, that living word of God, is the one that we have to do business with. We have to give an account to God. Every single one of us will stand before him. And everything is open to his sight. There's no hiding anything from him. He can see right through you. He can see how you really are. What a terrifying thought. And then we're reassured right at the end of chapter 4, that we have a high priest, a faithful high priest, a compassionate high priest who's merciful. He's able to sympathize with us because he's one of us. He's experienced the same things we have. He's been through the same troubles, the same sufferings, even more so than we have. We're all going to stand before the throne and give an account. And there's no hiding anything from his sight. But the good news is we have a faithful, compassionate, sympathetic high priest in Jesus Christ. And he will bring us to God and make everything okay. That is good news, my friends. So we see here that the apostle, he keeps circling back to this idea about Jesus being the faithful high priest. And that brings us to chapter 5. And at this point, I think that the people who originally received this letter from the apostle, they probably have a question in their mind. You see, these are Jewish believers, and their question is a reasonable one. Their question probably is, you keep talking about Jesus being the high priest, about the Christ being the high priest, but can this really be? Is he really qualified 
to be the high priest? And if so, how so? How can this be? You see, the Jewish audience understood something very clearly. That the Old Testament prophecies concerning the Messiah pointed to a Messiah, a Christ, who would come from the tribe of Judah one of the 12 tribes of Israel. The Messiah would come from Judah. That was very clear. They understood it well. As a matter of fact, back when Jesus was born, Joseph and Mary were from Nazareth. And the scribes and the scholars said, it doesn't make any sense. The Messiah comes from Judah, not from Galilee in the north. How can this be? not realizing that both Joseph and Mary traced their ancestry back through the tribe of Judah to King David. But that's besides the point. The Messiah comes from Judah, but the priesthood belongs to the tribe of Levi. Aaron and his sons and his descendants after them, they were all members of the tribe of Levi. The priesthood belongs to Levi. Every good Jew knew that. The Messiah comes from Judah. The priesthood is from Levi. How then can you say that Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah from the tribe of Judah, is the high priest? How do you reconcile that? How do you square that circle? That doesn't make any sense. Well, we're going to see here in chapter 5 how the Apostle Paul answers this very important question. Is Jesus qualified? to be the high priest that I keep telling you that he is. Well, let's begin to look because it's going to take actually three chapters for the apostle to answer this question. We're just dipping our toes into it today in chapter 5. In chapter 5, he begins by talking about the qualifications of a priest. Let's look at it together in verses 1 through 4. For every high priest taken from among men is appointed for men in things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can have compassion on those who are ignorant and going astray, since he himself is also subject to weakness. Because of this, he is required, as for the people, so also for himself, to offer sacrifices for sins. And no man takes this honor to himself, but he who is called by God, just as Aram was. Let's break this down and examine these four verses together. Qualifications of a priest. First off, we see in verse 1, a priest is taken from among men. Simply means he must be a human. A priest must be a human. He must be one of us because he's going to represent us to God. Secondly, he's appointed for men. He's appointed for human beings. A priest is a human being who represents human beings to God, and he's appointed for human beings. Now, this word appointed is important because we're going to see in verse 4, this appointment doesn't come from human beings. This appointment comes from God. Just as in ancient Israel, at Mount Sinai, when God gave the law to Moses... He appointed that Aaron and Aaron's sons and their descendants after them would be the priests. God appointed whom he chose for the priesthood. Nobody said, hey, uh, we need to get a new priest. Let's make up an ad, put it in the newspaper, and see if we get any calls. It doesn't work that way. 
You don't take the priesthood upon yourself. You're appointed to the priesthood by God. And God had made his appointment in the old covenant law of Moses at Mount Sinai. He appointed that Aaron and Aaron's descendants from the tribe of Levi would be the priests of that covenant. No man takes that honor to himself. Secondly, we see some of the... uh, some of the roles and functions of a priest in these verses, the priest is to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. Remember, he represents the people to God. His job is to draw and bring the people near to God. And in order, in order to do this, he offers gifts and sacrifices on behalf of the people, offers these things to God. This was according to the law of Moses. Thirdly, The priest is compassionate. He's compassionate towards the weak and the straying. The weak and the straying. He's compassionate towards the ones who simply don't know, who lack knowledge, those who are ignorant. He has compassion. He's able to sympathize because he is one of them. And as one of them, he's subject to the same temptations, the same weaknesses, the same foibles and failures. You know, if you've ever been through something difficult, it helps if you're able to talk to someone else who's been through that same difficult thing, doesn't it? Because you know that they get you. They understand you. They know where you're coming from. It it, it doesn't mean that someone who hasn't been through that can't show compassion and can't sympathize, but the one who has been through what you've been through, who has walked the road that you are walking, you understand that that person's able to sympathize and have compassion in a special way that someone who doesn't understand the circumstance, they can't. So the priest must be compassionate and sympathetic because he understands the people because he's one of the people. Now, there's a little caveat to this. For these Old Testament priests, the very fact that they were humans just like the humans that they were representing, subject to the same temptations, the same struggles, the same sins. Well, this necessitated that when they made sacrifices and offerings for the people, they also had to make the same offerings and sacrifices for themselves because they required the same sacrifice in order to draw near to God. They were sinners, just like the people were sinners. So if the priest was going to bring them to God, he had to bring himself, as it were, by offering sacrifices. And that's what the Old Testament law of Moses prescribed. The priests had to offer sacrifices for their own sins, as well as for the people. But this led to the priest having a compassionate and tender heart, being able to identify with the people and what they were going through, the struggles that they were in, and how often we fail and fall short. They could get that because they themselves were subject to the same sort of thing. So these are the qualifications for a priest. Let's look at how Jesus Christ is qualified. Verses 5 through 11 are going to talk about this. Beginning in verse 5, So also Christ did not glorify himself to become high priest, but it was he who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you who also said in another place, you are a priest forever according to, the, according to the order of Melchizedek. Before we go any further, this name Melchizedek is going to come up a few more times in the coming Sundays. 
and we're going to get into depth looking at who this Melchizedek was and how he factors in to this whole, this whole business of Jesus being qualified. But we're not going to get into it today other than to say Melchizedek was a priest. He was a king priest from ancient times long ago. He was a king priest long before Moses received the law at Sinai. 400 years before Moses, Melchizedek was a king priest that Abraham met. And Abraham paid honor and respect to him. So long before the law was given at Sinai, long before the Lord said, here under this covenant that I'm making with you at Sinai, I am appointing a priesthood. It will be Aaron and his sons. Long before that happened, there had been a priest, a king priest who had lived, and his name was Melchizedek. And in Psalm 110, it's declared that the Christ will be a priest after the order, the rank, the class of Melchizedek. His priesthood would not be the priesthood that came through Aaron and his sons, but his priesthood would reach back even further. It would be like the priesthood of this man that we meet here named Melchizedek. The point that is important to take away at this point is this. God appointed Christ to be a priest. That's the point that the apostle is making here. Just like Aaron and his sons were appointed by the Lord to be priests, the apostle's making the point that the Christ, the Messiah, was also appointed by God to be a priest. And in order to make his case, he turns to two psalms, Psalm 16 and 110, to make his case. These quotes are both from those psalms. Psalm 16, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Psalm 110, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Now, Jesus explained to his apostles that everything that was written in the law and the prophets, in other words, the entire Old Testament, was about him. He said, the scriptures talk about me. I am the point of everything that the prophets wrote. But the Jews of that day would have understood that Psalm 16 and Psalm 110 were very unique psalms in that they were unquestionably pointing to the Messiah. If you would have gone back in a time machine, gone back to that day, and you would have asked a Jew, you know, we know that the Old Testament speaks about the Messiah, but can you point out any scriptures that would have been very clear, that we would be able to say that right here, this is clearly talking about the Christ. Any good Jew back in that day would have said, well, Psalm 16 and Psalm 110. Everybody knows that. Okay? Psalm 16 and Psalm 110 were clearly scriptures that referred to the Christ, the Messiah. And so Paul takes his audience to these two Psalms. He says, remember Psalm 16, talking about the Messiah, where it says, you are my son, today I've begotten you. Well, the same person who said that, God, who said, you're my son, Messiah, I've begotten you. The same God who said that also spoke about the Messiah in Psalm 110 saying, you are a priest forever according to the rank, the order, the class of Melchizedek. You have a priesthood. It's not the priesthood of Aaron 
and his sons. It's not the priesthood of the old covenant. You, but you do have a priesthood. It's an ancient priesthood that will last forever. The priesthood of Melchizedek. Now, at the end of our reading today, the apostle says, this guy Melchizedek, we've got a lot to talk about about him. And it's going to be hard for you to understand because, well, you've, gone, you've grown slow of hearing. You've grown dull. But I can explain it to you. That's what Paul says to his Jewish audience. Well, we're going to have to work even harder than that Jewish audience because we don't have the same background they had. But we'll figure it out. A priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Jesus Christ, the Messiah, was appointed by God to be a priest. There's the first qualification. A priest has to be appointed by God. Look at verse 7. Jesus, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear, Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him, called by God as high priest according to the order of Melchizedek, of whom we have much to say and hard to explain since you've become dull of hearing. We find in these verses the second qualification for a high priest. Remember, a high priest not only had to be appointed by God, but he had to be compassionate. He had to be compassionate in that he was sympathetic. He understood the struggles of the people. And here we see Jesus presented in the days of his flesh. I think the passage is pointing specifically to the night of his arrest when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. After having the Last Supper with his apostles, they went out to the Mount of Olives there in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus says to Peter, James, and John, he says, you stay here. I'm going to go a little bit further in, but you stay here and pray. Pray lest you enter into temptation. And Jesus goes off by himself and he prays. And what does he pray to the Father? He weeps, as it were, drops of blood. And he prays, he says, Father, if there's some other way, let this cup pass from me. He's afraid. He's fearful. He anticipates the suffering. He anticipates the trial, the temptation, and the death that awaits him. And he cries out to God, if there's some other way to redeem mankind, if there's some other way for me to bring them to you, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Right? And he goes back to check on his disciples, and what, how does he find them? They're sleeping. And he wakes them up, pray, pray lest you enter into temptation. And he goes off again to pray. And the, the scene repeats itself as he pours out his heart to the Father and cries out, if there's some other way, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Here we see Jesus in his humanity. He's bearing the weight of that great fear that all of us dread. What do we all dread? You know what it is. We don't want to meet that final hour. We don't want to go into that dark home. We fear death. All of our lives, we've been subject to death. We spend our lives cheating it and running away from it. In his humanity, Jesus Christ understood that very truly, very deeply very really. And he understood it better than any of us because Jesus understood that when he would die upon that cross, remember what he cried out? He said, um, my God, my God, 
Why have you forsaken me? Jesus understood what was approaching him was complete and utter abandonment, being cut off from the life of God, being cut off from the life of the Father, fellowship, relationship with God. He knew what awaited him. You know, most of us go through life and we don't even anticipate that aspect of it. We just don't want to stop breathing. We don't realize the finality of true death, which is being cut off from the very source of light and life itself. Spiritual separation, death, separation from God. Jesus knew, though, what that was all about. And he faced the horrors of death with a greater understanding of it than any of us could ever begin to have. And he poured out his heart to the Father. He understands our plight. All of this to say he is sympathetic and compassionate. He understands our struggles. In another place in Hebrews that we saw earlier, the author tells us that Jesus was tempted in every way like we are. One key difference. Remember what it is? Yet without sin. He never gave in to sin, never gave in to temptation. But he is qualified because he's compassionate. He understands us. He understands our struggles. Thirdly, qualified by confident obedience. It talks here about how he, was, he cried out to the one who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear. Psalm 16 talks about the fact that the Lord would not allow the Christ to remain dead, that his body would not decay. He wouldn't stay in the place of the dead, but he would rise again. And Christ had this confident hope, this confident obedience. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 23 talks about Jesus in the midst of his sufferings, how he committed himself to the righteous judge. That's what we need to do too. We need to commit ourselves to the righteous judge. Have confidence. Confidence means with faith. Jesus had confident obedience. He had obedience because he had faith. He trusted, he relied, and was fully assured of God's goodness. We can have confident faith as well. We can confidently obey because we can trust in God's goodness. We can trust in his mercy and his grace. Jesus confidently obeyed. And here is an important distinction to make between Jesus and the priests of the old covenant, the sons of Aaron. Remember, they were able to sympathize with the people because they, like the people, were sinners and they had to offer sacrifices for their own sins as well as for the people. But here we see a distinction. Jesus, in his humanity, is able to have compassion and sympathy upon us because he's one of us and he's faced all the same fears and struggles that we have. But Jesus confidently obeyed. He doesn't need to offer a sacrifice for his own sin because he has no sin. He can offer a sacrifice for our sin, which he did. He made a sacrifice, another qualification of a priest. Offer a gift, an offering, a sacrifice for the sins of the people. Jesus did this, and he didn't have to offer one for himself. That made him very different from the priests of the sons of Aaron. The question I want to leave you with today 
The apostle has made it very clear in these 11 verses that Jesus Christ, in fact, is qualified to be a priest, a high priest, the one who can bring us to God. It's a priesthood that will last forever. It's eternal. It's never going away. There will never be another priest because Jesus offered one perfect sacrifice that was good for all, for all time. The apostle made his case that Jesus is qualified. But as we wrap up, I want to ask you the question, are you qualified for eternal salvation? Are you qualified? We'll say, I didn't know that I need to be qualified. I thought Jesus just saved us by his grace. Well, he does. Don't worry about that. But I want you to look at verse 9. Verse 9 of chapter 5. It says, and having been perfected. uh, That word perfected means completed. Well, that might be worth looking at. How can we say that Jesus the Christ was completed or perfected? That Jesus was perfect. Well, experientially, he was completed. He learned obedience by obeying. You know, you can read a textbook on obedience, but the only real way to learn obedience is to by obey. You have to obey in order to learn obedience. Jesus learned obedience by obeying the Father. And it says, in having been perfected, having been completed, he became the author of eternal salvation. Jesus finished up his qualifications to be a savior, in other words. That's what it's saying. It's not that Jesus was not morally perfect and he needed to be perfected. It's saying that Jesus finished the requirements for being a savior. He went through it all. He experienced it all. He did everything that he needed to do. He dotted every I, he crossed every T, and he is completely qualified to be a savior. It says he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Jesus' sacrifice and his power is enough to save anyone. It's enough to save everyone. But the fact remains It will only save those who obey him. If you reject the gospel and if you reject Jesus, then you have just deemed yourself to be unqualified for eternal life. The only way to be qualified for eternal life, for eternal salvation, is to trust in the one that God has sent. Obey him. Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30, Jesus says, Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That yoke, the yoke is a timber, a timber of wood with a hollowed out place for the timber to ride upon the shoulders of the oxen. And then the oxen are tied into it and the yoke keeps them together as they pull the plow through the fields. Jesus says, try my yoke on. Take my yoke upon you. Now, that yoke is a symbol of bondage. It's a symbol of servitude. Jesus says, hey, I want you to come be my servant. Try my yoke on. If you do, you're going to find it's good because I'm a good master. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Instead of finding heavy labor and work, you'll find rest. You'll find a meaningful life, a life that counts. Try my yoke on. Obey me. 
That word obey, it means to listen to, to listen attentively and heed. Jesus is saying here, listen to me, hear me, follow me. And you know, the interesting thing about this picture of the yoke, part of the picture, we see Jesus as the farmer and we're the oxen in the yoke. And Jesus says, get on my team. Come work for me. You'll find out that it's good. But then in another sense of the picture, we see Jesus saying, hey, come on alongside me. Put the yoke on. I'll pull with you. We see Jesus right alongside of us saying, hey, I want you to serve God just like I do. Follow, follow me. Learn from me. You're going to find out it's good. It's not a burden. You'll find a meaningful life. Are you qualified for eternal salvation? Have you heard from Christ? Do you listen attentively? Do you heed what he says? In short, do you obey him? Do you follow him? Jesus calls us to obey him, to daily submit to him, to listen and learn from him. Jesus invites us to service that is meaningful. He invites us to step into the yoke with him and learn. Lots of times the farmer would put a young, untrained ox into the yoke with an older, stronger, more experienced ox who knew how to pull. That's Jesus. Jesus says, I know how to pull. Come alongside. Let me teach you. Let me show you what it's like. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 6 says that God has made us accepted. He's made us accepted in the beloved. Who's the beloved? He's talking about his son, Jesus. Jesus is the beloved one. God says, I've accepted you. I've accepted you in the one that I love. If you're in Jesus, you're good with me. Come on. That's what God is saying. We all want to be accepted. That's all we really want in a relationship, whether it's a relationship with a parent or a grandparent or a spouse or a child, we want acceptance. And sadly, many times we don't find it. We thirst and hunger for it. We grow bitter and calloused because we haven't gotten it. Some of us have enjoyed it. Some of us are still looking for it. But you will be accepted. Accepted by God through Jesus Christ. Wouldn't that feel good to be able to say, I'm acceptable to God. I want you to say that with me. I'm acceptable to God because of Jesus. Go out on a limb here. Find someone around you that you can turn to and you can say it more than once. Say, I accept you. I accept you. Go ahead, try it. Say it to someone. I accept you. You know, whenever those oxen would be put in the yoke, you know, you'd have two oxen underneath this timber and this yoke. They're pulling together, and then there'd be ropes or chains going back to another yoke. There'd be oxen back there, and then on back and on back and on back. They might have a whole team of oxen. Guess what? If we're in Christ, we're all on the team. And if God has accepted us in Christ, that means we have to accept each other too. We're all on the team. We're all pulling together. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Jesus Christ is qualified to be the high priest that Scripture declares that he is. He brings us to God so that we can draw near to him through his sacrifice. It's enough. He's qualified. 
Are you qualified for eternal salvation? If you obey Christ, if you listen attentively to him and follow him, you are qualified. And God has accepted you in his beloved son, Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. Let us pray. Father, we give thanks to you that through Christ, we are acceptable to you through his sacrifice, which brings us near to you. We can approach boldly, confidently, with faith, with trust, with full assurance. We thank you for our great high priest, Jesus Christ, who has brought us to you. Thank you for accepting us in Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Hallelujah. Let us pray. Father, we give thanks to you that through Christ, we are acceptable to you through his sacrifice, which brings us near to you. We can approach boldly, confidently, with faith, with trust, with full assurance. We thank you for our great high priest, Jesus Christ, who has brought us to you. Thank you for accepting us. In Jesus, in his name we pray, amen. Thank you for having tuned in with us today. We hope you found the time in worship and the word to be encouraging, challenging, and strengthening. If so, we'd love to hear from you. We realize there are so many ways you could spend your time. We're glad you chose to spend it with us in worship and the word. Until next time, may the grace and peace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ be with you all today, this week, and forever.